Welcome to Songs and Stories, the Not For Musicians Only music podcast. Well, hey, folks, welcome once again to Songs and Stories. My name is Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories, episode number 18. This is also the second, which will hopefully be, if I get my ducks lined up right, the second in a series of four interviews with Texas singer-songwriters. In episode number 17, which you can find on my website at michaelgaither.com, we talked with Austin's Darden Smith. Uh, talked about his sort of his songwriting influences and uh, what he's up to these days. And in this episode, number 18, we'll be talking with Patrice Pike, who's originally from Dallas and is also from Austin these days. Her music combines, gosh, R&B and soul and jazz, uh, maybe a little funk, as well as the more traditional Texas singer-songwriter sort of narrative folk and storytelling kind of kind of writing you to expect from somebody from Texas. So um, I saw Patrice play at Strawberry about three years ago and was just completely taken with her voice and her, and her stage presence and her band just kicked butt. She came back and played again this, this last summer, late in August, and um, it was a really warm weekend. So her band played, she played a late set that night, and then she and I talked, uh, I think it was Saturday afternoon. Um, interestingly enough, in, in, in the Darden Smith interview, in episode number 17 of Songs and Stories, he compared his influences, he talked about the more narrative Texas storytelling songwriting style with um, his English pop influences like Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello, which was more hook or lyric driven or hook or music driven without being um, a complete beginning to end story type song that he was used to growing up in Texas. Patrice Pike ended up talking about much the same thing. Uh, she said she's, you know, really taken with traditional Texas songwriters like Robert Earl Keene, who she mentions, but she she also loves Annie Lennox, who's a big R&B singer and does tell stories in her songs, as well as more abstract songwriters like Bjork. So she'll be talking about that. She'll be talking about life on the road and looking forward to a little downtime as the summer drew to a close. And we'll also learn how she got into to playing in the first place. She started with a band called Sister Seven after she left uh, Texas University on a scholarship and took to the road and has been playing and touring and writing ever since. I want to let you know that um, to go along with this podcast, there are notes to go with this interview on my site at michaelgather.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com. Go to that main page, look for the notes for episode number 18, and you'll find links to Patrice Pike's site, links to her CDs, as well as links to a couple of things we'll talk about during this interview. I also wanted to add something about this Songs and Stories podcast interview series I've been doing. I started at the beginning of the year, and at the time I had a little handheld iRiver MP3 recorder with a little teeny condenser mic built in, and at the time, I thought I'd move to something more sophisticated and, and you know, do phone interviews and things like that. But uh, this little recorder picks up all the background noises and sounds. And in my conversation with Patrice, the word organic kept coming up. And I think that's what I like about doing these interviews is that because this little recorder picks up everything, it, it does sound kind of organic and natural. And I, I kind of like the background noises. And 
I just want to let you know that if you listen very close, remember that we're at uh, Yosemite while this is going on. You'll hear people walking around and talking and probably some bands jamming in the background. But if you listen very closely, yes, those are hawks you hear circling overhead. Me being an animal guy, I kind of like stuff like that. Anyway, before we talk with Patrice Pike, let's listen to a couple of cuts or at least some song samples so you can get an idea of what she sounds like. I'm going to play um, a little bit of What's the Trouble off her latest CD, The Unraveling, or Unraveling. And then we'll go back and listen to a song called The Wreckage off her first solo CD, which was called uh, Patrice Pike and the Black Box Rebellion, and the CD was called Fencing Under Fire. So we'll listen to those, and then we'll go back a couple of months to a hot day in Yosemite and talk with Patrice Pike. Pike here in the lovely afternoon day. You've done two sets in the last 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And now you're done for a while. Yes. At least for a couple of days. Except for playing tonight together somewhere. I'm yeah. sure we'll Our camp's around. right over there. Okay. <laughs> I'll draw you a map. Um, so you're from Austin by way of Dallas originally. Mm-hmm. And um, earlier you were saying you started, pl- you started actually on the violin at age three uh-huh. on the Suzuki method. Yes. And that gave you basically a lot of voice training early on. Just gave me a sense of like tone and intona- intonation and mm-hmm. stuff. So somewhere where the violin is, I think, pitch-wise, most closely resembles the human voice, so maybe there's something to you that. You read that? Yeah. Okay. So my theory this morning was it's probably correct. right. I, ta- I actually got to talk to Mark O'Connor about a month ago, and he was telling me that, so I figured mm-hmm. if he must know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why. for sure. And you studied at the University of North Texas briefly. 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 Mm-hmm. And One semester. And why'd you leave? 
Uh, I was... You were on scholarship, correct? I, I was on scholarship, and I was um, wanting to get a jazz education degree, like all the other yeah. like smoking players right. there, or what I was aspiring to be. Right. And um, I just found out like after I went through a lot of us went through uh, orientation I guess mm-hmm. that's what it's called right. and and no one told us that we would never be able to get a jazz education degree without being proficient enough on another instrument to be able to get improvisation credits because they didn't have a vocal improv teacher so you couldn't just learn jazz vocal you, ha- you could, yeah. but you wouldn't get a jazz ed degree unless you got an improv credit and improv could only be done on another instrument oh so you had to be smoking enough to 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 like play with other players sure. on a different instrument that wasn't your primary instrument. Right. And we all thought that was kind of screwy that they wouldn't hire a vocal improv teacher. They did years later, but right. there were protests and things, and I went on and went out on the road and started playing instead. Yeah. Yeah. Split. So you weren't the only person that kind of felt like that, it sounds like? No, there were lots of people, for sure. And yeah. I was playing with already in a live band and starting to travel a right. little bit. Yeah. And I was hanging with a lot of people who had graduated from there years back. Mm-hmm. I was married at the time, and my husband uh, was nine years older than me. Mm-hmm. So they all had degrees from North Texas. Oh, I see. But they were doing what I was what doing. What you wanted to do or what you were going to do. I was already starting to yeah. do, you know, play live and make make a living doing that. And so. probably with him and his circle of friends and your kind, it, it just made sense to go that direction yeah. right away. And your music, there's, I mean, there, there's, it's, I love how it collects, it's, it's not really, you know, it's not, it's, it's rock, it's R&B, it's jazz, there's obviously Ella in there, the scat mm-hmm. singing. Um... And it's not it's not folk, but you're a singer songwriter. What what were some of your influences musically? Well, um, it's kind of a wide open question. Sure, but, like but I, it's always fun to ask. Um, my parents just had a phenomenal record collection, and they mm-hmm. listened to music all the time. Yeah. And my stepfather was a guitar player. Okay, playing with like Texas music, mm-hmm. you know, uh, bands that you know they they call you know like Willie Nelson and Jerry Jeff Walker. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of those guys. There's Bugs Henderson's more blues guy, but like um, he was running around with all those guys. So yeah. I was hearing all that stuff live, right? As a little kid in Texas. So you got a real diverse edu- musical education early on. Yeah. From your parents. And then there was their record collection, which consisted of everything from Mozart to Stevie Wonder to Joni Mitchell to Led Zeppelin to Very cool. Cream. You know, yeah. so. I, it, that had a huge effect, and I didn't really hear a lot of recorded jazz music until I was older. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, but there was an AM station that played a lot of old, like old old school mm-hmm. blues, R and B, soul yeah. stuff. So. so you got everything. Yeah. yeah. And and I mean, writing wise, who were your influences? Because you're 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 primarily a songwriter, depending on what genre you're writing in. But you, mm-hmm. what writers influenced you? Definitely uh, Joni Mitchell and yeah, Neil Young. I can see that. For sure. And then, um, you know, I like a lot of, there are a lot of pop solo artists who are amazing storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like I listened for a long time and still do to Peter Gabriel. Um, I love, I discovered Daniel Lenoir via Peter Gabriel. And what do they work together Daniel, he produced a few of Peter's oh, okay. records. And, uh, you know, so there are soul artists like that. Even Annie Lennox, she tells amazing stories. Yeah. 
she's a pop singer yeah. and also a soul singer in my right, mind. Right, right. So that you you listen for great a great writer is a great writer and and some people just write abstract more abstract mm-hmm. like Bjork for instance. Yeah. I love her writing. Yeah. She also tells stories, but mm-hmm. it's not in the typical storytelling form. Start to finish. Yeah, and I come yeah. more from that school of yeah. here's is that being from Texas? The character, blah, blah, blah. Would you call yourself a Texas songwriter? <clears throat> well, I've been influenced by it so much. Yeah. And being in Austin, lots of great songwriters. Sure. Um, Eliza Gilkison. Oh, she's uh, she's, she's amazing. Know, Ray Benson. Yeah. Patty Griffin lives right there in town. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, Robert Earl King. Mm-hmm. Lots of great yeah. storytelling writers. Have you come down to play in Cape at all? Or have you gotten to the Santa Cruz area much? I've gotten to Santa Cruz, but I haven't. Have had any real contact with KP? Yeah, I'm a little bit of a. I've been a satellite a lot of my career, in terms of the majority of of all the time I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. Satellite in terms of mainstream, as far as the percentage of time. Right. And then like, popped in and like, you know, had some great dive-ins to to the radio world and mm-hmm. stuff. Kind of lived a. I'm more outside of it most of the time. Yeah, and probably because you're so eclectic too. It's it's hard to pigeonhole you. Yeah, and it's which I have good, I've, got, I've spent half of my career a lot of times on purpose, not really ha- working with management companies and mm-hmm. stuff, going in and out of that whole scene just so that I could really not constantly be uh, the right or left part of a brain mm-hmm. that's controlling my yeah daily life as right. a, an artist and a human being. Yeah. And you've worked with, you, you, I think you've worked with your own with your own label doing com- completely independently. You've also worked under a label with all those layers. Mm-hmm. What are some of the pros and cons that you see? And do you like doing it all yourself and having having to do all the work yourself? Well, there's, you there's the pros and cons to both. I definitely yeah. don't, I don't have a preference either yeah. way. And that, you know, a lot of people want to hear you say, independent all the way, you know. You know, until they actually do it themselves and they got to book their own gigs and... You know, it's a lot yeah. of work. And, it and and I do prefer being independent, sure. you know, because most of the time you don't all, you don't always get to work with. It's a lot of the fortunate ones are the ones who get to work with people who really care about music and find a way to balance that bottom line, mm-hmm. you know, with the business, with artists that they believe in and will stand by right. through thick and thin. And there have been times I've been in situations like that, and it's ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I think earlier you said you um, started playing guitar at 23. Mm-hmm. So I was curious, what was your songwriting tool before you played guitar? Well, I, c- I just co-wrote all the time. Oh, okay. I was the lead singer of a band, right. and we wrote together all the time. And that time. band for the podcast audience was? Oh, I was uh, in a band called Little Sister, yeah. which changed the same to Sister Seven mm-hmm. collectively. Same same band members for nine years, yeah. just two different names. Yeah. And, and when that you, was great. When did you break off on your own? You kind of kept some of those bandmates with your current band, is that correct? I did for a while. Uh, Wayne Sutton, whom people around in these parts would know of from... He traveled with me. He did mm-hmm. the Live at the Brushwood uh, record at Murphy's in Murphy's at the Black Bart. Mm-hmm. And so that's cool that I got to make a, a record in the Central Sierra Mountains. And Wayne and I had been playing together for about 14 years. Yeah. We still do from time to time, but he has children and finally needed to, like, witness part of their <laughs> upbringing, you know? It's tough balancing all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It really is. Um, when you were talking about recording earlier, you were also saying about um, 
and I was I was thinking about this for my own the own thing I did last year. But when do you know kind of when to let go of a song in the production process? Like you've recorded it, you've worked on it. Do you want to redo it? Do you want to keep tweaking, or do you say, you know, it's it's where it is, or I just got to let this go? Is I'm sure every song is different. Well, yeah, and I've done it different ways, collaborating with different people who uh-huh. have different perspectives. Yeah. You know, um, probably my favorite ones. They're either super slick because you went in and really, you know, did the the uh, the craftsmanship of mm-hmm. recording and the cr- recording arts yeah. to the fullest. Um, but it's not as organic, you know, right. as some people like it. But it's really cool. For instance, uh, Sister Seven record "Wrestling Over Tiny Matters" has a song, a bunch of great songs that I'm very proud of, and it's an amazing recording. Mm-hmm can listen to this tune uh, nobody knows and we did things you couldn't physically do in real life like i stacked 30 vocals Mm -hmm. my own vocal singing 10 of each part so 10 stacking on top of itself in unison and then 10 of the second the first the other harmony and and 10 of the next harmony so there's a choir of me Mm mm-hmm and, it, and we, instead of using Pro Tools and just cut and pasting, right. I sang every single vocal live oh, through nice. the whole song. And it has this And it amazing, probably sounds more organic that way. Well, it, it sounds like, it sounds not like me. Yeah. It sounds like an idea, like a great group of women singing behind me. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because we could create this other voice kind of yeah. by doing that. And it was a lot of fun and all the parts. very challenging, you know? That's cool. Yeah. So and that's, that's different than, I mean... There's 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 pitch correction and there's cutting and pasting notes of a guitar part. That's one thing, but this is in, in that yeah. case. I've never pitch corrected any. Yeah, that's actually that doing something done. really cool with Pro Tools that, that really is creative versus just correcting flaws. Well, yeah, it's it's something you could do on tape. I yeah. mean, yeah. it's not something that we couldn't do on tape. It's just mm. more easily done with all the tracks available. Wow. But but like what you were asking was, uh, how do I prefer to do it and doing it in a more organic way to where it's I mean I tended to make more music that was very organic and sounded more like a live performance mm-hmm. um, with just a little more you know control over the depth right. you know and the panning and all these different things that yeah. you can do yeah, I like cool. old school records you know yeah that shows too in your let's see your R&B influences yeah, yeah. really you played on what was it called For Dear Life the song you left off the album the mm-hmm. current album mm-hmm. are you gonna rec- it's not the only one but yeah, yeah. and you had an, a, an Americana version and a more rockin' version and what decided did it make you pull I just didn't fit the sequence of songs yeah I loved the song I didn't feel like it fit in the context of the 11 that I chose and I could see that yeah. I just really loved the song and I felt like it would it would have a better better life with other surroundings yeah. so I saved it it's good to have those, those sort of in your back pocket, too. Yeah, and I really like records that are... I try to keep a record around 50 minutes. Uh-huh. I don't really care for, you know... I I find myself, if I'm listening to a record that's 75 minutes, that I'd kind of zone out in the last 10 minutes. Or fast-forward or... A lot. Yep. Yeah, and I, it may be just from growing up listening to regular LP-length mm-hmm. records. That I think be. it's a great you know, amount of time for your... I think you're right because I think with (laughs) 60 minute CDs, I, yeah, I I think, uh, I mean, I'm 44 and I'm used, I was used to 45 RPM records and they're about 40, 45 minutes. Yeah, and I really, 
that's just a theory of why. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't notice until occasionally I'd be driving and listening to a record and go, have I heard this before? And realize it's a record that I've heard over and over again and I didn't mm-hmm. pay attention to the end of the record. That's a, that's an interesting point, too, because you know people that grew up with that technology are used to sort of a project being a certain amount of time, but now with iPods and downloads and I don't know if that's going to change or not, but I still think in terms of a record from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Maybe it'll change, maybe it won't. Or double albums. I du- can do that, yeah, you know? Yeah. I can listen to songs in the key of life, and you can get a little break in between right, you yeah. know, the, the two records. That's a classic, too. I know my nieces, I had my nieces over a couple of months ago, and they're 12 and 15, so the, the first thing I do is get their iPods, see what they're listening to, and find some common ground. And I realize mm-hmm. they're listening to nothing but singles. They, the concept of an album or a record, mm-hmm. there, wasn't, there weren't any. They were just listening to the songs or friends, which... It's different. Maybe it's good or bad. Or maybe I'm just too old school and too. It's just different. It's just I mean, different. I definitely, I definitely still like to listen to a record from beginning to end, and that's what's strange about noticing that I would zoned out on some of some records that are seem to be kind of long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. As a band leader, I was thinking about this too when I was watching you playing. Um, how do you balance because they're they're your songs and your babies, but you want the band to be co- collaborative kind of thing? How do you balance, you know, your idea of I want it to sound like this versus sort of letting it evolve with the band. You just kind of like give it to them, or do you sometimes come in with a preconceived idea of where you want the guitar to work? Or? These guys have all heard songs that have been previously recorded because it's a pretty new band. Yeah. That's and they know your and they know material very, very well, too. Yeah, and they, you know, I, I picked guys who are into my records yeah. and into the players who have played on those records and know that they're friends with those guys, yeah. you know? So they have some things in common and. The thing for me is there's a balance between me being able to tell them, look, this is why this song was approached this way in the studio. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell a story about like what it's where it's coming from. Like mm-hmm. a song a song that is supposed to sound like the movement of the ocean mm-hmm. and that was part of the, the intention of the writing of the song. Yeah. I wanna tell them about that and then they get it. You know, it's like Rufus on the Unraveling record has this and that is like a push it's like mm-hmm. a wave yeah. you know and sometimes players why would they know that you know yeah. but when you explain it they're like oh I hear and then they want they want to experience that like attempt of creating that mm-hmm. you know and and we all we all share, you know, that back and forth because also I could be presenting a song to them and, and Glenn just today was like, what if we did your song Bottle Rocket and we changed the chorus feel and he, we were sitting on the amphitheater stage and he played it for me. Just tweaking it. Yeah, and he was like, this is a little bit more of like, uh, he's like, you know, John Bonham type thing behind this part, this bass part. And I was like, I got it, you know. And now I want to go and explore that possibility right. about the song. Very cool. Yeah. And you were saying you're touring, but not it's not excessively. Or you're trying to like balance it from being home, with being home and being on the road. About how much are you on the road this summer, and what's where are you going to be in the, like in the fall and the winter for people that are picking up this podcast? Where can they find mm-hmm. you? Well, I've been on the road. 10 or 11 weeks this summer. Yeah. And it's festival season now, too. Which it's a makes, lot. Yeah. 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 But it's been good. And what I've done is... It's plus, not you're that missing, I, plus you're missing the Austin heat, which probably... Is yeah. 
and it's not that I haven't been on the road. It's that I've spread gigs apart and taken more days off. Like you're doing this weekend. Tour. Yeah. That's good. Because the inspiration I can get from being here all weekend, yeah. compared to going to a town that I've played this summer already. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to kind of balance out. I'm in a place where I'm about to start writing a lot mm-hmm. at the end of the year, and I want to have a lot of experiences. You know, yeah. soaking things up. Yeah. Do you find um, that you tend to write? When you're off the road, when you have the free time, or do you tend to write just constantly, or does it? Do you need those pockets of time where you're not managing other things, where you can kind of just settle and, and think about it? Well, it feels like my writing flow is is in a shift mode right now, since I have been traveling most actually the last 15 months. Mm-hmm. I used to write on the fly all the time, yeah. but I'm really all the time, right. and I wrote a lot doing it that yeah. way. Um, it's great when it comes like that too. Yeah. But I've been in this shift in a lot of different aspects of my life, and and I noticed that I really want to sit and and songwrite and hone and craft mm-hmm. instead of, and it'll naturally come the other way too. I think yeah. I don't think that's shut off or anything, but I'm really excited about the possibility of creating space and really sitting because I'm not I've never really been a writer to sit and go okay I'm going to write a song today, and I really respect that. I respect people who can do that. Me too. And I hope that I will be able to do that, but we'll see. But definitely, they've all come just like little epiphanies, Mm -hmm. you know, at random times and you're scrambling. I'm always the type, you carry the notepad, write down little phrases, and when you actually get some some mental breathing space, you kind of sit and, you know, hopefully something changes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Thanks, Michael. Little epiphanies rock. They really do. I'm, I'm More and more I'm convinced that the best ideas come as little teeny realizations rather than some big grand design plan. And in, in this case of this conversation, it was songwriting ideas. You just write everything down and once in a while you go, oh, that's good. I'll come back to it when I get some downtime. So that was the Patrice Pike interview from last summer at the Strawberry Music Festival. And if you check her... For tour dates on her on her website, patricepike.com, you'll find that she is staying close to home this fall. She's playing around Dallas and Austin. If you're out that way, definitely go go see her live. There are links to her CDs on my site as well. Again, go to the pod show notes for episode number 18, and you can get links to her CDs. And there's a Sister 7 link, the original band she was in way back when. And you can look them up and kind of read their history. So this completes the first of two Texas songwriter interviews. We've done Darden Smith and Patrice Pike, and it looks like I'm going to be talking with Colin Gilmore, Jimmy Dale Gilmore's son, this afternoon. We actually ended up playing together at a local gig last last weekend, yesterday. Can you tell I'm tired from the weekend? And um, if schedules work out, I'll be talking to Eliza Gilkinson in a couple of weeks as well. So I wanted to mention that if you uh, if you haven't, you can subscribe to this podcast and iTunes. There's a link to that on my site as well. Or just keep checking my website. Or if you'd like, you can subscribe to my mailing list. I send out announcements when there's new shows for me in the band or just new podcasts up on my site. So have a look around. Check out the website. Check out the links to Patrice Pike. Um, Once again, I want to thank you for listening to Songs and Stories, episode number 18. If you have any comments about this particular podcast, you can go to my site, click on the add comment button and leave a comment. Or just send me an email, michael at michaelgaither.com. <laughs>